Welcome to Talking with the Animals, an exploration of animal communication. Join animal communicator, craniosacral therapist, and NES practitioner Caroline Pope as she discusses how to understand other species as they truly are, not just from the human perspective. That's right, Mecco. Discover how communicating with our four-legged friends can open up a whole new world for both of you. And now, your host and Australia's most recognized and well-known animal communicator, Caroline Pope. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Talking with the Animals. I'm your host, Caroline Pope. Thank you for joining me. I've had a few animals in the last week that I've had to break the fairly unpleasant news to their guardians that the animals are in quite a lot of pain. And it got me thinking that a lot of us are actually, without realising it, obviously, because nobody wants to think they're creating pain for their animal, but in so many cases, humans are inadvertently creating pain for their four-legged companions. And of course, none of us want to think that our four-legged is in pain. That's not why we have them. So I thought I'd run through a few of the things today that I commonly see that cause quite a bit of pain in some cases for animals um, that the humans basically are just unwittingly setting up or allowing to go on because they don't realize. So if you're aware of a potential issue and how to prevent your animal being in pain, then obviously that's what people are going to do. So we'll start with cats because the list is quite a bit shorter, uh, partly because of the way they're bred. Most cats are pretty close to the original blueprint, so they don't tend to get quite as many body issues as dogs, simply because you look at a wolf or a dingo, then you look at everything from a pug to a daxi to a deer hound. The dog's shape is so very different. Bull terriers, you know, all these sorts of things. They're so different from the original blueprint that obviously breeding alone creates a whole bunch of problems. There are certain breeds of cats that do have, for example, the Maine Coon. I'm seeing an awful lot of Maine Coons now, sadly, with hip dysplasia. And hip dysplasia is bad enough in a dog, but for a cat, it's worse because cats jump so much more. And look at people that have a how much pain they're in before we actually get to a hip replacement. And of course, particularly here in Australia, you're hearing all the stories, horror stories about the waiting lists for surgery blowing out. And people can be waiting several years now for a hip replacement. That's the same pain our animals feel. So really think about that. And whilst it's not always financially or otherwise viable to do, for example, a um, hip operation, hip replacement on your animal. There are certainly plenty of ways that we can help prevent. Obviously, screening for breed is a big one. Slippery floors. Now, I certainly will be going into a bit more of that with dogs, but it was interesting when I um, lost Sir Khan, 
I was in a place that had a little bit of carpet, but most of it was timber laminate. And the floor rugs were, to put it politely, they'd well past their use by date. That's a nice, polite way of saying it. So piffed them all out. And I had one main rug in the lounge room and the rest of it was um, carpet in the bedrooms and timber laminate. Now, when I got Mecco, obviously the first thing I did was go out and get a whole bunch more carpet runners. But what was interesting was a comment from one of my cats a couple of days later of how much happier he was now that we had the carpet runners again and that his back didn't hurt. And of course, when you think about it, you look at a cat or a dog in the wild. They don't have highly polished flooring. You didn't see anywhere near as many cruciate ligament injuries in dogs in the 70s and 80s when uh, carpet, particularly shag carpet, was the fashion. Now it's all the polished floor, timber laminate, floorboards, that kind of stuff. We're seeing more of it. Environmental does play a big part. And of course, everybody knows my take on, by now I would imagine, about diet. Feeding a cat commercial food is one of the worst things you can do for its body. Sets up inflammation. There's so much information there now out there on why shouldn't feed an animal commercial food, particular cats and dry, that will also create issues. And of course, weight. Weight's bad enough in a human, but for a cat, every time you jump up or down, every extra pound or 100 grams, if depending on whether you use the old scale or metric, is going to make a big difference as to how your cats land. So really think about getting a raw species appropriate diet happening, supplementation where necessary. Older cats, the same as older dogs and older people, really can benefit from joint supplements and so forth. But yeah, don't let them jump from super high if you know they're going to continuously jump from the fridge or a tall wardrobe or something, try and put a stool. They're not always going to use it. We know that. But if they're sore, they will use the stool as a halfway point and make sure where their landing isn't slippery. All these things really make a difference. Now, the same happens with dogs. So same floors and everything. And, of course, you think of the little, I don't know, Maltese terrier cross that here's someone at the door, leaps off the couch, often lands on a slippery surf and is, and is going hurtle, hurtle, a la roadrunner um, type scrabble, scrabble to the door. You can do backs, you can do cruciates. It's so easy to avoid these by correct floor plan. It really does make a difference. Now, Long nails in dogs, no hoof, no horses, the saying goes, having the nails too long changes the placement of the way the dog puts the foot down. And anyone that's worn shoes that don't fit for an hour or so understands what that does to the rest of the body. Now, I'm the first to say a lot of dogs don't like having their nails clipped, but tough love, get them in there. If the quicks have grown very long, you may need to go back to your vet or groomer every couple of weeks to gradually get them shorter, but it's going to make a huge difference to the way the dog walks and therefore the comfort levels of your dog. 
Dental health, cats and dogs. Anybody that's had a toothache knows how debilitating it can be. And yet so many people are willing to leave cats or dogs till they need extractions before they do a dental. And then they complain about costs. Now, I'm the first to say with the cost of living at the moment, it can be an issue. But if you know your vet well, work out a plan. Be proactive. Again, raw species appropriate diet with bones when possible, going to minimize all of this. But if your dog or cat is getting to the stage, it looks like it needs a dental, get it done early where it's a quick scale and clean, no extractions, much, much better for the animal, much, much better for their health and also better for your wallet. Training methods, particularly for dogs, can create a lot of pain. Um, I'm not a fan of a lot of harnesses that restrict the shoulders or the front attachment harnesses. They can really muck up the shoulders. Um, Don't even start me on correction collars or choke chains, call them what you will, prong collars. There's no excuse these days. We know yanking on one of those. And if you're in doubt, put one around your own neck and get someone to give it a really good yank. It hurts. It creates pain. You should not need to create pain to train your dog. So really think, and if if you're not happy with a trainer, find another. There's plenty out there these days. Head halters even. I use a head halter on Mecco for large dogs and reactive dogs so you can break eye contact. They can be fabulous. But as with any tool, you need to use them correctly. You do not yank on a head halter because that can do as much or more damage than a choke chain collar. So really think about the methods of training you're doing and what you're expecting your dog to do. Getting in and out of a car, it can be as simple as that. If your dog is sore, particularly if they have back problems, not only getting in and out of the car, but if your dog's got a severe back issue, just driving. And as we corner and so forth, particularly because the dog's usually in the back seat and they can't see as much, you don't realize how many spinal nerves are used just for balance. So really have a think if you know your dog's in a lot of pain. Obviously, they do need to go to the vet. That's non-negotiable. But don't necessarily take them for the drives and stuff. The dog may enjoy it. But if getting in and out of the car creates so much pain, Who are we doing it for and is it really worth it? One of my pet peeves, they shouldn't be because seriously they keep me in business, is a ball thrower. As far as I'm concerned, they should be banned. Throwing balls continuously is very bad for a dog's body and can create a bunch of obsessive compulsive behaviours. People say, oh, but in the wild, they'd run over after the wildebeest or the buffalo or whatever it might be. Yeah, they might. But in 30 to 40 seconds, minute and a half tops, they've either got the animal and they're eating or it's got away 
and they wander off again. They don't continuously run. I saw a dog the other day with a major cortisol imbalance that's led to a whole bunch of um, health problems, and I am totally convinced, as is the vet in question, that it's because this person has used a ball thrower three times a day. Don't even start me on what the dog's body and its toes are like, but purely the fact that this dog is so adrenalized and so in fight flight several times a day has actually created problems for the dog. If you want, if people say, oh, but my dog's so high energy, keeping it in fight flight is not going to run off energy. It may tire the dog out, but the dog's going to get a lot more using its nose, which is a much more natural thing, doing sniffing, training, those sorts of things, because if you're having to do the equivalent of a marathon every day with your dog just to be able to live with it, you really need to take another look at where you're at. It's not good for the dog. Keeps me in business, as I say, lots of ruptured cruise shirts, lots of uh, physio requirements, you know, lots of back problems. Great. And particularly um, those that throw balls inside down long hallways that are usually polished floorboards. Um, I can understand why they do. And even cats throwing, um, you know, toy mice or whatever. Do it on a carpet runner. Don't do it on polished flooring. You're just looking to create issues. Now, the poor old horse has suffered much more with humans than either dogs or horses. Uh, cats, I should say. My apologies. We really haven't done the horse any harm, a good, even from the days of Genghis Khan. With horses, it really is a case of um, what is less pain in many, many cases. There are so many things. Um, you all know my thing on ECVM, equine complex vertebral malformation or C6C7 malformation. Many of these people figure they've spent the money and they'll ride the horse until it's no longer sound. These horses are in pain all of their life. And as I've said before, the racing industry know about it. They're just not prepared to do anything. Too much like hard work and being accountable. Any horse with ECVM should not be ridden. It is always in pain. It's more pain or less pain, but it's still in pain. Now, Many people expect their horses to be the equivalent of weekend warriors. They expect them to do massive amounts of work competitions on weekends and do very little during the week. I've actually remember going a couple of years back to a Olympic rider I knew, uh, some of the horses that they were trialing for the Olympics, and I walked away um, being absolutely horrified at the bodies of those horses. Every single one of them required major body work. Now, I know equine athletes, as with all athletes, do suffer some pain, but there's a lot that is preventable pain. Going back um, to the good old days, you know, it was always considered that if you needed a martingale on your horse or a drop nose band, you needed to educate your horse and that you should be able to ride in a snaffle with no noseband. Now look at what we do with our horses. Most of them are cranked down with martingales, horrendously tight nosebands, etc., etc. 
And they're saying, oh, the horse is dangerous to ride without. Well, sorry, you're doing something wrong. If you need or your horse needs that gear, have a really good hard look at yourself and your training program because there is always a reason. If your horse doesn't want to do something, there's always a reason and most of it is pain. Again, dental, huge issue. A lot of people will only use a dentist once a year or once every 18 months for a horse. Many of them require it every six to nine months. And of course, we put the bit in the horse's mouth. A lot of people that ride bitless think they don't need to do dental work as often because they're not putting a bit in the horse's mouth. Unfortunately, that isn't true. And of course, as they age, horses, as with people, teeth don't age as well in some cases, depending on the nutrition they've had earlier in life, may need a dental as often as every six months. Long feet. My own horses are always trimmed every four weeks. Every horse grows hoof at a different speed and, of course, different times of the year, but many people leave their horses for 12 weeks in between trims and then wonder why the horse is struggling to canter and hold, as they call it, frame or position when the toes are too long and the horse can't move comfortably. Never underestimate the importance. Why do you think they had the saying, no hoof, no horse? Most people don't want to think they're creating pain for their horse by saving a few dollars, but in the case of farrier, yes, you are, or trimmer. Call them what you will, depending whether you're barefoot or whether you're shod, six weeks, eight weeks maximum for shoes and six to eight weeks maximum for most horses with a trim. It does create pain. And of course, ill-fitting gear, ill-fitting saddles. And of course, the saddle that fitted your horse last year when he was fattened basically in paddock condition versus if you've kept riding consistently six months later when he's developed a whole lot of top line and dropped a bit of weight, your saddle's going to need to be virtually completely different. So many horses I know, I would say 70% of horses I know their gear doesn't fit properly and creates pain. Even what some people think of as small things, for example, riding an arena with boots but not using the gaiters and then the sand gets in and rubs or using brushing boots and not cleaning them so you've still got mud and clumped in hair from the last time you used them and that rubs or um, dirt and you know, sometimes paddock grass seeds and burrs, if the girth isn't clean and people haven't cleaned where the girth goes. Sounds basic. Floating boots. How many people clean their floating boots after each use, brush them out? Very few. These are all things that can go on and create pain for the horse. And of course, then we also have the riders. None of us are fully balanced. God knows I'm not when I'm on my guy. But if you know you've got spinal or hip or knee issues, which many of us has as we get older, get some body work done or do some yoga or both so that you're not leaning continuously to one side or sitting and with uneven weight distribution because, of course, your horse has to compensate for that. 
And then over time, if you're continuously sitting more to one side, that's going to compress that side of the saddle. And of course, it all goes from there. So be aware of you as a rider. And of course, again, regardless of whether you ride with or without a bit, bitless is less worse in my book, hanging on to the horse's mouth. If you feel you have to hang on, get yourself a neck strap. Don't hang off your horse's mouth. It hurts. It creates a lot of pain. I've actually seen, and so many so-called professional riders create huge, huge amounts of pain. I've actually seen um, dissection classes where part of the horse's, the bar of the mouth, part of the lower jaw have got grooves in them from where the bit has ground down into the bone because of poor riding practices. You think if something's actually grooving into your bone, your mouth, how much pain is that creating? Really think about that because that is basically, unfortunately, almost considered acceptable riding these days. So really have a think about it before you start riding again. And of course, the one thing with horses that nobody wants to talk about anymore is the weight of the rider to the horse. Particularly, I'm seeing a lot of the Arabs and that with people that want to do endurance. Horse might only be 14.2 and a lot of heavy set people want to ride. The same with some of particularly the young quarter horses. Don't even start me on the whole age that they start the um, quarter horses at in the Western Pleasure. But anyone that um, has a Western saddle knows they're heavy. Then you add the weight of a rider onto a small quarter horse. That's more than a quarter of the horse's weight. And a lot of the time, the riders aren't particularly good either. And some of them have those sharp Western bits. So really be aware. It's not fat shaming. And, you know, this is something that particularly with this woke Australian society at the moment, oh, you can't fat shame that person and tell them they can't ride the horse they want to ride. Uh, Yeah, I can actually. It's not fat shaming. It's reality. Either get a different horse or if you want to be involved with horses and you're too heavy to ride, get yourself a standy and do some um, driving. Get yourself a sulky or a buggy, just as much if not more fun a lot of the time and your horse is pulling you, he can take more weight than you sitting on his back. So really have a think about how your lifestyle is for your pet and how you can change things because very small changes for you, taking away a noseband on a horse, getting some body work, doing feet more often, trimming the dog's nails, putting down a few carpet runners, doing more sniff work and less ball work may not be big changes for you, but they as a long-term thing can make the world of difference to your animal and the quality of life they share with you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Talking With The Animals. As always, don't forget to like and subscribe. And if you could drop me a review, I'd really appreciate it. 
Feel free to message me with any topics you would like me to cover. And thank you again to everybody that continues to send in emails and feedback. It means more to me than you'll know. Stay safe. And until next time, remember to talk with your animal. Thank you for listening to Talking With The Animals. To learn more about Caroline and the services she provides, visit caroline-pope.com. You can also find her on Facebook at Caroline Pope Animal Communicator CST and NES Therapy. Are you ready to change the way you see your world and the animals in it? Well, we know his answer. Don't forget to subscribe and see you next time.